Hello and welcome to the Parley podcast. I'm Sriram Srinivasan. This week's discussion comes in the backdrop of the government's decision to ban 59 Chinese apps, a move that followed the escalation of tensions at the border between the two countries. The government has said that these apps were blocked in view of the information available that they are engaged in activities which are prejudicial to sovereignty and integrity of India, defense of India, security of state and public order. While there has been support for the move, there has also been criticism, not the least of which is that it undermines the digital rights of users. So how vulnerable is internet freedom at a time of national security risks? To discuss this, I'm joined by Orgu Sengupta, Research Director at the Vidhi Center for Legal Policy, and Raman Chima, Asia Policy Director and Senior International Counsel at Access Now. So before we get to the specifics, uh, the government's move to block 59 Chinese apps has brought to the fore the inherently tricky national security versus digital rights question. How do you view this? Orgu, you want to start? Thanks, Sriram. I think it's important first to clarify whose rights we are talking about in this case. If it's the right of Chinese companies, these 59 companies specifically to do business in India, then of course these rights have been affected in this case. If it's the rights of Indian individuals who use platforms like TikTok either to run their business or to just become popular, I don't think there's a rights violation there. I can certainly do the same thing by moving to another platform and I imagine people will move to another platform soon enough. But I think there's a larger question here which is that at any time when there is a national security risk, rights generally and it's not just digital rights get affected and in this case section 69a which has been used is not a new power that the government is uh, commandeering during a time of the national security emergency but it's a, an existing power that government has i think the questions we might uh, must ask are that it must be a genuine national security risk and the necessity of blocking the app must be very clearly made out by the government and i think that's the way we try and resolve this question of where do we draw the line between uh this trade off that we make between national security which is important and rights which are equally important raman your views thanks riram i think it's important to remember that in a constitutional democracy like ours but also one that is a signatory to the international covenant on civil and political rights as well as the universal declaration of human rights there is a certain basic understanding that is now clear that regulation of the internet or internet based services by governments has to respect basic human rights standards what that means is that for a government to block service or to block any access to content or take other coercive steps that may intrude upon people's fundamental rights and freedoms means it has to follow what in international laws often called you know the three part test that requires action that is very clear that could not have been done by less intrusive means and that follows standards of necessity and proportionality in india as well it's very clear that our fundamental right to free speech and expression applies to online content our own supreme court has said that the challenge in this particular situation is the blocking of an entire service and app by the indian government is a remarkable and rather extraordinary step and one would therefore go and say why were there less intrusive means that could have been followed and if you do believe for example there are other concerns relating to 
security, which is one of the grounds allowed under Indian law, as well as other larger concerns on data and cyber security, which the Indian government does not right now have any legal basis to take clear action on, because it itself has not enacted law on that subject. They have to make that information available. It troubles me that that information is not there. And perhaps in this case, what's happened is that concerns around national security or other geopolitical concerns have intervened to result in censorship administrative action that has blocked entire tens of thousands or perhaps even hundreds of thousands of users making content available. And that test of whether this is a proportionate restriction perhaps may not have been met. And therefore, what it brings to my mind is that the government should have been clear about what evidence it had about the need to take an emergency blocking action, which is the process they followed, and whether less intrusive means they could have taken. And if there's other more systemic issues that they wish to address about Chinese tech companies or the People's Republic of China having inroads or access on the Indian tech sector, perhaps that's a larger problem. And we can go into that later, but I think this short-term solution isn't fixing that larger problem and it's causing other larger problems regarding the constitution. Thanks. Uh, so there are uh, major issues relating to this, uh, which need to be implemented at a later stage if we are to uh, follow international standards. But uh, most specifically, the use of Section 69A of the Information Technology Act has been criticized in some quarters. One, one of the criticisms being that it isn't designed for data protection compliance. And it's also argued that it's set for more specific violations rather than uh, broad general violations, as you've uh, just mentioned. Can you talk a bit more about it, uh, Raman? Sure. And as you mentioned, Sriram, yes, there are the fact is that Section 69A has a limited set of defined grounds under which the government can take action. Those are often wide grounds, including things that security of the state that, as we know, over the last few years, the union government as well as several state governments have unfortunately taken very wide views of. But a data but data protection isn't one of them. And also, if you look at other action taken by other regulators responding to perhaps some of the same companies, for example, TikTok and ByteDance, what they initiate is action under a data protection framework where they investigate the entity, see whether other mechanisms could be followed. Orders, for example, uh, compelling them about how they are storing data and what practices they're following, followed by fines or other consequences. And instead, we've jumped here to the topmost level. And more importantly, even under our existing legal framework regarding blocking of content, there are two mechanisms. There is the normal process by which a government department complains to a central government officer and a committee reviews it and an emergency process by which orders are issued and then a subsequent review is taken. What troubled me in this situation was that this was actually an emergency order. One would assume that if they had ongoing investigations on this issue, which is what the government claimed it was doing via a team in the Ministry of Home Affairs under the Indian Cybercrime Center, a new program there, as well as the Computer Emergency Response Team, one would have understood they would have gone through the normal mechanism and perhaps then done a subsequent review. Instead, they've done an emergency blocking order and then said these platforms should perhaps come to them and make a case out as to why they should be unblocked and these interim orders could be overridden. So that makes you wonder about the process. And more importantly, ultimately, Section 69A is a censorship power, a controversial one that is not well designed to protect people's rights, particularly when it comes to larger data protection or cybersecurity concerns. And in this case, I believe it's perhaps been used improperly and is being used as a quick fix political solution to a larger, perhaps, business 
and cybersecurity concern that the Indian Republic may indeed have. Orgo, you want to add to that? Yeah, I think that there's a wider point that Raman makes that I agree with, which is the fact that uh, 69A is perhaps not fit for purpose if what you're essentially looking at are emergent situations posing risks of this nature. I think that there is a wider question that the IT Act, which originally was brought in to provide a degree of equivalence for electronic correspondence and documentation and to make it at par with physical documentation, that certainly does require a relook. So I think that's one point that I agree with, that 69A as in, is perhaps not a section that was that was even designed to do things of this nature. And certainly, Raman is correct, that there are questions regarding the process that has been followed. But I think that the larger point is that the banning of the apps, as we, as we all kind of have guessed, is essentially a proxy for, has become a proxy for a larger geopolitical battle. As I don't think that the banning of the apps is either intended or is meant to be seen as an, an end in itself. As in it's, it's unfortunately become sort of the hot topic in terms of how we take out our angst against Chinese militia at our borders. Uh, but I think the main point is that this is, essentially a question of the apps having become a casualty uh, in a larger geopolitical battle. And I think that whenever we discuss the question of how the apps were banned and the processes that were followed, uh, while those are relevant questions, and I think we must ask them, and even in an article that I wrote, we said that new procedure must be followed when this is done. But I think this is a larger question that needs to be asked in terms of both internet freedom in India as well as in China. How do you uh, both see the system going from here to becoming a more fairer system where, where all the measures that you've mentioned uh, comes comes true? What, what is the path from here to there? What are the stumbling blocks? Raman? The... I, perhaps lay out a path for you. And the first part, you know, first step in that path is something that the government itself could do. Currently, when the government of India issues blocking outdoors under Section 69A of the Information Technology Act, it asserts secrecy and confidentiality in those orders. They do not make them available. This is, in fact, not something required by parliament. It is something that the government gave itself controversially and probably in violation of the Right to Information Act, as well as other laws, in its information technology blocking rules issued to interpret this section back in, if I remember correctly, 2009. The government should immediately stop asserting that privilege so the public indeed knows what is being blocked and for what reason. And in fact, I would also argue that that's now a constitutional requirement following even as recently as January, where the Supreme Court in the issue of internet shutdowns in the Anuradha Basin judgment said very clearly that any order blocking people's rights to liberty especially in relation to the internet, required to be published. So the government can start by that. It can also undertake broader reforms as well as a review of Section 69A itself. As somebody who's worked in the technology sector in both industry as well as now nonprofit and human rights roles, I can tell you that the blocking list in India is actually a shockingly long one. Perhaps tens of thousands of websites uh, that have been blocked over a period since the late 90s. That's not a position India wants to be in. India never wants to be compared to China 
or other totalitarian despotic regimes with regards to its approach towards blocking and censorship. Now, the larger issue perhaps is what sort of proactive institutional architecture do you need to address the situation? And I would venture, while there may be conversations around the enactment of a data protection law and the creation of a privacy commission, something which has been unfortunately far too long and dragged out by the present government, and perhaps even by its predecessor government, the reality is today on cybersecurity, we don't have a clear strategy in architecture. The Indian government has tried to do its best over the last few months to consult on a new national cybersecurity strategy. So it is clear as to who is in charge, what legal powers they may have, although again, legal powers are a subject determined by parliament, as well as who responds, where does the buck stop? That unfortunately is not clear right now. That needs to be done. And perhaps this larger issue around how do you protect national security or other geopolitical interests while respecting our constitutional framework and human rights when it comes to investments in the tech sector and the supply chain requires clear, open conversation in government. Right now, everything is happening quietly and that won't help. And the reality, of course, is when anyone who looks at the tech sector today is that every element of it involves investments in a supply chain which involve our neighbor on our northern and northeastern border. China is intimately involved in the global technology supply chain and sector. That's not a fact that's going away. Today, as we speak, we are using hardware as well as software that will have elements of the Chinese tech sector. And therefore, if we are saying that due to legitimate border or other conflict concerns, as well as perhaps other national strategy, we wish to contain or restrict that, in a manner that protects human rights, but also in a manner that's effective, we need an open conversation on what that process is. That's not happening right now. And having a new cybersecurity strategy that also honestly addresses this would be a good step. But perhaps we need more as well, including a simple conversation around who is in charge of what on this in the government, not just on cybersecurity, but on information technology lawmaking. Yeah, and I'll just add to that, uh, Sriram. Uh, I think that uh, in addition to what Raman said, overall there has been a mindset within government, particularly on issues relating to national security, that agencies can work best when they work outside the law. And I think uh, this is this is very much the prevailing mindset if you see all of our national security agencies. But as we see, as in from examples, and we don't even have to look at China, but we look at the U.S. Uh, of course, we look to the U.S. for many reasons as being a, as a, the oldest democracy with a, with a well-entrenched uh, culture of freedoms. But if you look at the U.S., there are national, sec- national security agencies obviously can work well within the four corners of the law, while at the same time ensuring that they are no less, and perhaps in some senses even more, empowered as far as their surveillance functions are concerned. So I think overall, there needs to be a change in mindset for national security agencies in the country that they need to understand that A, this working outside the law just does not fit within our constitutional framework. The fact is that I think India is still an evolving rule of law state and so as in we tend to get away with it as it's not just national security agencies, it's all of us in our everyday lives, but certainly national security agencies, that we need to understand that national security agencies must be brought under the law. And bringing one under the law doesn't necessarily mean that you become immediately weak and ill-equipped to perform your task. It essentially means that you do it with a certain degree of accountability as any actor in a democracy must. And 
so I think that's what's a critical element as in, in addition to what Raman says that we must know in terms of our national cyber security strategy as to who's responsible for what. Similarly, our national security agencies must all be brought under a legal framework where we understand what everybody's powers is. And I'm not necessarily saying that their wings have to be clipped. We just have to know what are the extent of their powers. And if they have overstepped their bounds, then there must be consequences as there are consequences for everyone else. And I think that's the critical change because if we are going to look at it in terms of the actual section, section 69A, what needs to change? I'll be very frank. My sense is that we, we can discuss it. How can we impose a proportionality standard in it? It currently uses the word necessary and expedient as in maybe a Supreme Court case in the future can include that. But the point is that the Supreme Court in Shreya Singhal as in did uphold section 69A while striking down section 66A and the rules under and, and section 69A, the section itself was upheld. And so because they found it was narrowly tailored. And so the point is that we need to think about a larger change of mindset and as Raman said, that we need to have this culture of accountability by which national security agencies can work within the law. And then we can, as a society, as a democratic society, decide as to where we want that balance between our freedom and national security to be drawn. Currently, we don't know, as in, so we are feeling in the dark. So I don't think there is an easy answer to that question. Can you uh, also take us through some of the uh, jurisdictions which have uh, made this transition seamlessly in the in recent years when we talk about the more advanced societies but there is uh, an inherent struggle in in the other societies where there is this trade-off which is stark and which is very difficult to overcome any any success stories that uh, you can share or go is that for me yeah yeah, yeah sure no, I, I think that uh, I'll leave the specific success stories to Raman because he researches on this far more than I do. But but I think that on the on the larger conceptual question, as in the, the trade-off is a difficult one because it come, goes to the heart of the social contract, right? As in, at the end of the day, as in, the citizens have given up a certain degree of their freedom in order to get protection from the state in terms of law and order and security and sovereignty as so that is the fundamental basis of the social contract now there is a tension in that social contract which is that how far can the state go because at the end of the day as in the reason we have the rule of law and constitutions is so that as in governments are controlled because first we give up our power to the government governments and then governments have to be controlled so nowhere is this trade-off easy so i think that's the first thing to note that governments everywhere are resistant to such trade-offs and secondly uh if wherever trade-offs may be made successfully, it ultimately depends on how much the society on a whole values freedom. And I think this is where the question of internet freedom that we are discussing today is really a subset of the larger question of freedom in and of itself. As if we must, mustn't forget that we live in a society where cartoonists can be put in jail for sedition. Right, And this is not in a wartime situation. This is not at the time of national security. And this is simply because of drawing a cartoon which makes parliament look like a commode or which draws a cartoon making a chief minister uh, look clownish. So these are not national security situations. And, and so one, as I think as a society, we have a uh, tolerated for a long time a large degree of intrusion on our freedoms. And the reason why that has happened is primarily because of the fact that the lowest levels of the police and the judiciary have either been silent observers or have been active participants in this process. 
So I think there are some hard questions that we must ask of our state, particularly the police and the judiciary, but also some hard questions we must ask of ourselves, because I think that as a society, we have drawn these boundaries very different differently from other countries. And Raman, please do give us some examples. Sriram, I think going back to the question you asked about examples, one thing to remember, of course, is that this is intention in many parts of the world, but more importantly, it also must come from, of course, our own context. For example, even in the region, you'll see people who may have advanced cybersecurity architectures, for example, Australia or even Japan, but where you actually don't see as pronounced, say, citizen engagement or citizen, in you know, as a sense of investment, a sense of that this is our right on, for example, the fundamental right to privacy that you see in India. India was remarkable, for example, when you saw the government argue that there was no fundamental right to privacy. You saw how people stood up. But why I say that is because the example that I talk about ultimately must be filtered through that perspective of what, what Indians do strongly feel on. The reality, of course, is that it's while it's a hard problem, it's not an unknown one. It's not a blank slate. Even our former colonial heritage uh, uh, associated country, the United Kingdom, for example, has a system where privacy is protected in statute until recently, and for now at least, it's also protected by the international convention under the UK's commitments to the European Convention on Human Rights. You have accountability of intelligence agencies in a limited way, at least to parliament or to bodies with parliamentarians. And you have a cybersecurity framework, a written strategy that's been updated twice that talks about who's in charge of what. And for example, there the intelligence services play a stated public role on protecting cybersecurity, but they have to be public and accountable on those measures. And you see that then it's still not perfect. It's there are many scandals, there are many concerns. Similarly, in the United States, which for example, has a very robust uh, legislative system of oversight and engagement on what the intelligence services do, or even interception of communication, as well as judges involved in the process, you've seen misuse, you've seen Snowden scandals. And there have been consequences to that. For example, the European Union had to tear up its data sharing agreement, the EU-US safe harbor, because Europe's highest court essentially held that what the Americans are doing with regards to access to data was potentially infringing the rights of European residents. By mention is there are many examples. We must learn from what's happened. And sometimes my biggest worry is that India doesn't learn from the success, not just the successes, but the mistakes of other states. Uh, for example, one of the largest concerns that most international actors have on the People's Republic of China is lack of clarity on what it does and whether its own stated laws are followed, but also on the power of its own agencies and about whether, for example, rule of law processes are je- jeopardized and abandoned by agencies there uh, when it suits them. That has direct consequences, in fact, now for China in many international conversations. Uh, on the issue, for example, international cybersecurity, it is now very well established that, for example, international law applies to what states do online. States have to be responsible under international law for that. The exact framework for that and the status of those norms, how those norms are being enforced is part of a conversation. And even there, what you see is, in a sense, people are waiting for India to step up. The Indian you know, pronouncements and statements on this are limited, very rare, and there's very little public engagement which is what leads me to sometimes joke that as we look to other countries, perhaps the one thing that we can learn is that while you want lean government, perhaps you actually do want to hire more people in government, more people who work and are accountable to parliament or engage in parliament to look at these issues of technology policy. 
today you have too few people trying to do too much in this space without open engagement and transparency but the, i think the biggest takeaway you can take from the success stories in other countries is acknowledge where you have concerns where you may even disagree have an open honest conversation on that not just because you will eventually come perhaps to a final good outcome democracies also do mess up but the biggest advantage of a democracy is what you then go through people feel invested in and they feel engaged in that is unfortunately not the present today when it comes to internet law cybersecurity or the larger issue of data in india most entities are not sure who they talk to for example if a cybersecurity breach occurs literally they may try to contact four or five people of which one or two may reply the others may not they don't know who is accountable for these measures and ultimately as a society we don't know where to invest in what the weaknesses are so that sort of open conversation democratic engagement and public democratic and perhaps parliamentary accountability is the biggest lesson india needs to take away also there's a question of uh, the implications for the wider ecosystem i think we have seen one part of it where the homegrown indian companies were probably rejoicing at the decision but there are uh, broader long term consequences as you have uh, alluded to and how do you see this uh, uh, from a larger perspective of uh, uh, companies or investments or players ap- apart from the users themselves or go yeah so i think uh, a couple of points the first is the fact that if indian companies are rejoicing because 59 chinese apps have been banned then we have serious room to doubt as to uh, the the real merit of these indian companies because the fact of the matter is that the banning of the chinese apps is as i think it as an incident of a larger dispute and if that dispute resolves itself this will resolve itself too so i don't think anyone in their right mind sees this as anything apart from uh some messaging to the chinese uh with the active support of the americans so so number one as in, i think if indian companies are rejoicing by this they as in it's really myopic because at the end of the day there is a reason why those apps are popular right as in, that we may we may we may not like to admit it but it's because they work and the reason why as as raman said there are chinese products uh, in the in in the global supply chain is because they are producing a certain quality at a certain price and so that's why they are used and i think what indian tech companies should essentially be looking at is in trying to improve their products so that they can compete globally currently let's be honest we are nowhere close okay so except for a few areas largely we are nowhere close and so this is what i think indian companies need to do and what does the indian state need to do as it in order to encourage this as i think the first thing which we have to be very clear in understanding is the fact that if we are going to go down this path of trying to build indian industry and trying to be self reliant then there are going to be many years of hardship and it doesn't come easy and swadeshi never came easy even during our freedom movement there is no reason as to why it will come easy now and we have to ask ourselves collectively particularly the state has to ask itself as to whether it can preside over these years of technological hardship where products from china and other countries which are cheaper and today better will not be available because of a of a hope of of a brighter tomorrow where indian products will be available number 1 number 2 if they have come to the conclusion that this is a price that we are willing to pay as it of short term losses for longer term gains then in that case we have to set in motion 
certain sets of policies to ensure that Indian industry is appropriately incentivized. One on which I have spoken before is the fact that we should try and ensure, uh, particularly for non-personal data, which is more critical in this regard, that non-personal data remains in India and is made available to Indian startups in order to improve their services and not available to startups from other countries. There could be two views on this. But if the government is serious in going down that path, then then I think the government needs to think about localization seriously. And as far as Indian business is concerned, I think they need to look deep within in terms of how better products can be built rather than uh, sort of rejoice because of a short-lived ban. Raman? So I think one of the things we need to, of course, keep in mind is some of the the consequences and after effects of what we've done right now. Partly why I mentioned that is, in a sense, by making it a little bit, unfortunately, too clear that this is due to geopolitical reasons and without in our statement on the specific national security worries, India is vulnerable from a trade law perspective, even if not, that doesn't necessarily mean, for example, a successful WTO adjudication against India, but it allows the the, the, the PRC government, the People's Republic of China, to claim the moral high ground on trade talks. And that makes us vulnerable. So that's just a fact. We do need to, to be able to address and fix that, or at least have a clear concerted position clear on how we are going to address those uh, those those concerns because you don't want to be blindsided on larger issues about say software development and supply chain we also need to have an honest conversation about what's working and what's not working if you talk to anyone in the indian tech sector the simplest way to get them to roll their eyes and have an honest conversation is ask them about india's desire to manufacture semiconductors and have a semiconductor fabrication large-scale unit in india it hasn't happened despite two decades worth of work and they're legitimate learnings there about how supply chain works, the reality of working with the union government and state governments, we need to factor. Similarly, when it comes to tech and software development, sometimes it's too easy to focus and jump onto buzzwords. For example, there's a lot of focus on AI and data collection right now. But if you talk to many tech developers and ask them about the regulatory landscape they go through, or that when they create a product that really is accessed by millions, the sort of ecosystem they face, they often may say that we often would prefer to perhaps be either target global markets or be based outside India, not always here. And the more concrete one is that we do need to be very clear about what sort of vision for the internet and users that the Indian tech sector has. And why I ask for that is in many ways, we seem to be looped in a cycle of learning the worst from Silicon Valley and applying those lessons here. A push on collecting data at no, at like with like, you know, at all costs, saying that more data is always better. Let's not prioritize user interest. Let's figure out monetization and short-term growth. And why I say that is that, as many people have put it, we have reached a stage where the global tech sector is starting to talk about internet health or sustainable tech needs. We're not there. And what I mean more specifically by that is, for example, if you were to take the concerns we have stated about several of these apps that are blocked, about, say, government access to data, uh, the fact that cross like residents of one country could have their data accessed by another country. The unfortunate, you know, sometimes unpopular truths that I've said is that could be said exactly of the Indian tech sector itself. Today, Indian app serving, serving, servicing a global market could be forced to comply with needs or government orders issued in India that apply to residents elsewhere. So we do need to have an honest conversation around privacy and data that recognizes that we are part of a global interlinked internet. That's not yet happening. But some of, these are some of the steps, as I said. The ultimate fact to go back to is to have that honest conversation with stakeholders on what sort of tech sector are you hoping for? Not just the economy, but even tech's 
impact on society and what sort of regulatory architecture has a role in that and how your regulatory architecture and your national strategy connects with the international conversations on this i think there's a lot of interest and a lot of in fact sometimes i would say confidence in india saying that we believe india can do great things we india can take global leadership on this indian tech has produced fantastic innovations but there is also a general honest perception that is not all connected and that we are also at some points unfortunately not always applying what we preach so we do need to breach that a bit and that's a combined step about the government working with citizens the tech sector and others on advancing it i am hopeful but that hopeful hopefulness is built on the fact that we need to be cynically aware to how things have not worked over the last few years and though the uh, i mean legal precedents from the shreya single case to anuradha basin has pointed to the uh, ideal situation sometimes that there is a lot of gap between what happens in the real world versus what is uh, uh, legally prudent and legally uh, sort of accepted through the precedents Uh, so where do you see this particular case how do you see this uh, going uh, the shreya singhal case or the chinese apps case current chinese app no sir i think that uh, if what we read in the papers today uh, is true then it seems like there is some kind of uh, detente that has been reached and there seems to be some gradual pullback of both sides from the actual military border uh, i mean on the actual military conflict and uh, if that's the case then then i actually expect that uh, the ban should be isn't revoked at some point of time in the in the near future uh, because at the end of the day as as robert pointed out as it was the processes that were followed in this case are not clear uh, and the ministry itself has pointed out that this ban is uh, certainly up for review and they have asked for certain clarifications and since this is a larger pawn in a larger in a smaller pawn in a larger game i i, I don't see this ban as 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 continuing for 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 a very long period of time but having said that on the on the larger question sriram uh, on on shreya singhal pointing to that ideal type of what the internet can be i think that you know we were living in an age where we felt that the internet could be in some sense distinct and removed from our everyday physical realities that is in our everyday physical realities we may be unfree we may be subject to censorship we may not have privacy uh, we may not have freedom of religion but somehow we could have it on the internet and i think the world over as in we've realized over the course particularly of the last 5 or 6 years perhaps a little longer that that it it can't be the case and that the internet as it is going to mirror reality sooner rather than later and if you have a world where as in it's quite clear that for some time at least in the in 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 the near future you have a world where territorial boundaries are very starkly drawn you have a world where there's a where there's a general the level of friction between citizen and state is increasing in most places then the internet is going to mirror that so i think we are living in an age of unfreedom and the internet is no exception so i think we have to see it in that wider context if things on the internet are to change raman i think the lesson in fact to take away from the share single judgment to the current situation is that firstly we must recognize that 
we have freedoms, we have constitutional liberties, and in fact, the government can intrude upon them. But the entire idea of our democracy from its inception and as part of the global movement that India chose to be with, with the UN, for example, with the Universal Declaration of Human Rights and the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights, is that what steps you take in executive action is restrained and controlled by rights. The problem, I think, for us, we've seen is that it's a constant clash and conflict. Uh, India is a constitutional democracy when it's reminded to be one or when the courts sometimes remind the executive branch of that. And that's a lesson from the share single judgment because I was struck by the fact that during those that case and during the arguments in court, in fact, very broad powers were claimed by the government about how it said the internet's a fantastic thing, but it impacts every part of society. We need to be given more powers. And what the what the judgment said there under Justice Nariman, which was actually quite, uh, uh, I would say, had tremendous foresight, he said that the government can even create specific laws to regards to technology or internet issues, but the tests that will be followed on constitutionality will be the same or at least constructed in the same way as it has been in the Indian Republic. The fact that there's new technology doesn't mean the government has new massive powers to intrude. It must respect this original balance in a sense, this idea that our founders had, and that applies today as well. And what I am more concerned about sometimes these measures, such as even this app ban, is that there is temporary interest there are headlines, there's conversation, but the sort of executive emergency action is justified. The sort of idea of the national security state or that the government can do anything on national security until it's overturned by the courts will continue. And in reality, you want to prevent some of these things from happening easily. For example, right now, Secretary Pompeo of the United States has said, made comments similarly, raising concerns about Chinese apps and data and said the US is, is you know, awake to those concerns. But notice they're not issued an order because they can't. They're legally not allowed to do so, and they would be cautious and they know the consequences that of what will happen if they took something that can't be legally sustained. We need to have the same measure here. And the bigger concern, is, I would say, is don't worry about the Chinese apps. That's just one situation. Remember, just a day or two after that order, you had DuckDuckGo, a search engine that is known for trying to respect privacy and data, well regarded by many in this space, that was blocked, at least for several days across several ISPs in India, and there's still lack of clarity on why that happened. But that points to the fact that our current apparatus that we have for internet censorship and regulation in India is still one that perhaps leans on too much executive control, where there is not enough accountability. There is fixes and this protection of fundamental rights when people are caught out, when people are able to move courts and those courts issue judgments. And those are too many whens, too many ifs. And that is what we need to fix today. And I hope we take that lesson away that it's not just about the big blocks or the temporary orders. It's about the architecture and what's happening here. And the fact that ultimately, even just looking at India and China, India stands for a certain form of democracy, a certain degree of constitutional respect to citizens, to individuals, their liberties, and of limited and controlled government. And you have others who don't stand for that, who believe in not necessarily following their own laws, in trampling others, and in seeking to provide no space to other folks. And that's what we need to fix. So at the same time as uh, we issue an app order ban, China is issuing a national security law with internet censorship powers for Hong Kong. What it ultimately means, of course, is people expect that of China. Perhaps India, people expect more of India. And we end on that note. Thanks, Orgu and Raman, for taking part. 